Hello, welcome back to another episode of From the Inbox, the podcast. I'm your host, Kane Wilkinson, and this week I chatted with Milwaukee-based singer-songwriter Brett Newski. And in case you didn't know, he's releasing his new album, It's Hard to Be a Person, on June 22nd, alongside a matching book of the same name. He's also put out two singles recently, I Should Have Listened to Ferris Bueller and Lillian Road, which you can listen to on the website, assuming you're not listening to this podcast directly from DustyOrgan.com. Next time you can do that too. And don't forget to follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and sign up for our monthly newsletter. It's a nice little recap from the past month to keep you up to date with all the best new music. And lastly, if you're able to, please consider supporting Dusty Organ through Patreon or buying a coffee. New subscribers get a wonderful welcome bundle, which includes a personalized mix CD customized to your taste and some cool swag. Just search patreon.com slash dustyorgan or buymeacoffee.com slash dustyorgan. And thank you so much for tuning in. Here is an interview with Brett Newski. Self-introduction at Brett Newski, B-R-E-T-T-N-E-W-S-K-I, Polish guy. In case you want to look him up online, uh, Welcome, Brett, to the From the Unbox the podcast. Thank you very much for uh, sitting down with me today over Zoom. Yeah, I love doing podcasts, so this is great. Let's uh, let's let it rip. Yeah, well, that's very fitting because uh, you have your own podcast, from what I understand, Dirt from the Road. How's that going? Dirt from the Road is has uh, really saved my life this past year and a half. You know, I it, honestly, I you know, I'm kind of an introvert, and I I never really thought I would even be into podcasting at all it's like ah you know but uh once i started doing it i was like this is it's such a cool medium for introverts because you can kind of like choose when to spend your energy talking you know what i mean it's like yeah when you're feeling like it you let it rip you don't have to be like on all the time yeah and you get to choose kind of who you're talking to as well which is a nice perk you know to oh totally fence through strangers but uh well i guess give a little introduction about yourself so i know you're you're based in Milwaukee, doing a lot of cool indie rock sort of stuff. And uh, your new album slash book is coming out uh, in a few months, June 22nd, from what I understand. Yes. And uh, it's hard to be a person is what it's called. I know that the, so the album obviously is music, but the book is kind of something pretty interesting. It's a collection of illustrations. Do you mind kind of elaborating on that? Yeah. So, I mean, stemming back probably starting three years ago i started just making like these dumb little drawings of me like making fun of my own depression um and i just put them up just to goof around and then like people started responding to them and being like pretty into them so i kept making them and the after three years i had enough for a book um so it's kind of like three years work of drawing and then like like 15 20 years of ideas all kind of shoved in there. So it's, I mean, it's like, it's called, it's hard to be a person defeating anxiety, surviving the world and having more fun. And yeah, just like little hacks and strategies I've used over the years to kind of like feel better in my brain as, you know, someone who's always had probably an above average amount of anxiety. So yeah. Well, it's, that's kind of like the light of it. It seems to be is it's your way of bringing, you know, humor into an otherwise pretty dark sort of situation. And, uh, as a person, how, how has that been, has that always kind of been part of your personality? Were you always kind of like the cracking jokes when 
at the wrong time sort of thing or <laughs> i've definitely done my fair share of bombing but um growing up i was never like i ne- i was never funny i don't think um not that i knew of because i was just like i was just like too unsure of myself and just like a bit too wobbly socially to to be like the class clown or the comedian. I do remember like saying things really dry and being serious and like some of my friends like like cracking up being like dude that was really funny and like me not knowing what they were talking about. But so I think maybe there was like something in there, but I was just too too terrified to uh to try jokes or bits on people, but uh in my adult life, yeah, it's always been like an escape to um skirt around more serious conversational topics and only in the past like couple of years have i gotten gotten better at like facing more serious shit head on and not just like bailing on it by like making jokes and like yeah. switching the topic you know what i mean but in regards to mental health and like anxiety like i, I you know it, it always has seemed when i observe it online and hear people talk about it it's always seemed like such a dark thing to me and 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 i just feel like satire and humor in that in that arena has always really just been an incredible help and catharsis to me so anytime i can like make fun of my own anxiety and depression i i generally do feel better and I, i'm starting to find that like people people feel better too when they kind of take that angle to it sometimes yeah. And what, so what part of that kind of whole process uh, made you want to share that through this book? Like, did you, uh, was that always like an intentional thing, part of this album writing process? Like, was that kind of always a, a part of the situation? A part of the book making process? I mean, yeah. I mean, cause like the, the, the songwriting and, and making music and that's, that's like my, my first love, you know, that's, that's always the way I, I kind of dealt with uh, phobias and anxieties and just like like plowing through the world. Um, but music is just so niche, you know, it's like you and I love the bare naked ladies, but like the odds of our friends liking them, it's like they're probably on something else or into some other band. There's just so much content and quantity in the world that it's like we're all into different things and different musical niches, but like a book, I just feel like is it can be like so, so much more useful than, than an album to so many more people. And um, yeah, at the end of the day, I do, I do want to be u- useful to people. I, I mean, I don't know if that sounds weird, but I, I want to be yeah, as useful sense, yeah. to people as possible um, because, you know, the music is for me like i'm i i like i'm always like making songs because i i want to make them i think it sounds cool but the book is is for for other people like that that was the hardest thing i've ever had to do creatively because it wasn't necessarily much fun to make all the time it was like a struggle it was like oh shit like how am i going to put this into words get it on paper get it drawn correctly day in and day out um but now having finished it, it feels, it feels more rewarding. I feel like almost than any album I've ever done, you know? Oh yeah. It's a pretty interesting, uh, comparison, you know, and especially with the illustration part of it, it becomes even more universal where people, I, I'm sure I haven't, you know, has seen a copy of it yet, obviously, but, uh, I imagine, you know, having pictures in there and stuff and, uh, fewer words kind of makes things a lot easier to process and take in and makes it more universal in that way too, which is great. Yeah, I hope I hope I hope it's of use to people and uh we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. 
yeah, it comes out in June. So keep your eyes peeled, people, uh, as well. And going back to kind of where it started and stuff, even further, I guess, is where your music career started. It kind of comes out on this album with that opening track, uh, your new single, I Should Have Listened to Ferris Bueller, which, speaking <laughs> of the Bare Naked Ladies, features uh, the former lead singer, Stephen Page. Um, and that kind of has a pretty interesting circle, sorry, cycle to it, where you were a teenager uh, and you kind of came to realize, you know, you really love their music and stuff. Do you mind telling the story? I, I don't, I hate telling people. Yeah, stories, no, so. no, totally. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. So I, I mean like playing guitar, playing music, it wasn't really anything anyone in my family had ever done. And it was never on my mind. I mean, I, um, I was just into the bare naked ladies as a, as a kid, they were like one of the first bands I really loved, probably the first band. So my pops, took me to see them at the Marcus Amphitheater in Milwaukee and I don't know, 20 years ago, 2001 or something maroon tour. And, uh, it just kind of blew my mind. Cause it was the first like big show, like the first high production show I'd ever been to. And it really blew my head off, um, how tight they were and how good it sounded and the banter between songs. And, um, on the drive home, my pops was like, you know, Brett, you should, uh, you should consider buying a guitar and learning how to play it. And I was, I didn't, I was like, what, really? Like, I, I, that sounds hard. I don't even know how a guitar makes sound. I remember thinking that, like, I don't even know how a guitar makes sound. I just know the shape that it looks like. And it's got like a stick on the end of it. And um, he's like, well, yeah, you place your fingers around and uh, it's hard, but I guess you'll figure it out. He didn't know. So I got a job at McDonald's making $5 and 15 cents an hour. And uh, and then uh, the deal my dad cut me was if if uh, he would he would front me the money I would pay him back but if I was still playing guitar at the end of a year he would pay for half the guitar and um, so I was I started playing bare naked lady songs Weezer Green Day and I was like I remember like turning the distortion button on my shitty little amp and like getting like the glycerine tone from Sixteen Stone by Bush and be like holy shit that sounds like the record that's on the radio kind of sounds like it ah and uh, so you get all these little tiny rewards along the way and um, yeah I just got totally obsessed with it and then uh, you know fast forward what like fifteen twenty years. Um, Stephen Page is uh, of Bare Naked Ladies is playing Milwaukee. He's playing a solo show, and for whatever reason, this was the only show on his tour where the opener had some other prior arrangement. And the opener was out; he couldn't do the show. So the promoter Peter Jest of Shankall in Milwaukee knew I was a big BNL fan, and he hit me up like three days before the show. He's like, "Newski, do you want to open for Stephen Page?" I was like holy shit fuck yeah you know i went down there i opened the show we we hung out um and uh you know we got to riff and chat a bit backstage and hang and uh and then i got him to do my podcast um you know a year later dirt from the road and then uh yeah when we were finalizing this album you know this first track called i should have listened to ferris bueller it it has kind of a BNL influence maybe merged with like a violent femmes influence with like kind of this acoustic thrashy punk kind of thing. Um, and I emailed Stephen Page. I was like, Hey Steve, you know, I'm not sure if this is like a big ask or not, but uh, would you be down to sing harmony on this song? It's kind of got some BNL influence and you know, I'd be, I'd be pumped about it. He emailed me back within like 10 minutes and he was like, wow. yeah, totally. Just send me the track and I'll, I'll, I got my home studio. I'll record harmony 
and he turned it around in like 48 hours. It was unbelievable. And we dropped it into our, our session at, uh, in Milwaukee and, uh, Spatola mixed it together. And it was like, I was singing low and he was singing harmonies high and it just like fit together so well. It was so easy and cool how, how it just like the tech now of just being able to collab internationally. I think he was in Toronto at the time. So it was just, uh, it was unreal, man. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting point. Is the availability, especially now with you know artists being at home, not on the road, that open field of collaboration internationally is huge now. You see all these crazy things coming out of you know Europe and the U.S. and it's like you never would have imagined this kind of thing being possible. So big time. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty sweet that you know you're able to capitalize on that uh, for sure. Yeah, it's the best way to like team up with your with your um, people in your genre or even outside of your genre. And like, I mean, share audiences too. like, I mean, like the indie music, indie rock world really needs to take notes from the hip hop world because they're doing it right. They're like, there's no shame in it. They're like collaborating with everybody they can. Whereas like us indie rock hipster doofuses are like, you know, too proud or too cool to like guests on each other's tracks a lot of the time so i think it's um the acceptance of of collabs and guesting on each other's songs is starting to become more of a normal idea for like the indie alternative world like it has been for hip-hop yeah i've definitely seen i've definitely noticed an influx of that this year in 2020 especially where it's almost unsuspecting and you're like oh oh they they're friends and they're gonna put music together that's all right that's pretty sweet that's interesting you say that it's like I, th- I kind of feel like that's true like if people if like a, a like a citizen or like a regular music listener sees like billy eilish with the verve pipe like they just assume they're best friends yeah you know what i mean because i that's how i feel when i see like bon jovi and melon camp i'm like oh of course they're friends you know yeah they do the same thing they must be the same person they probably have thanksgiving dinner together for all we know Right, but so, really, it was probably the label, just like, we need yeah. cash now, cash, yeah, cash I, collab, cash grab. Well, they're doing a good job of hiding those, uh, you know, I guess industry insecurities, we'll call them. But, yeah, uh, I mean, what, what, you know, what? There's no point in uh, in, in not doing it. You know, it's it's uh, it's good for everybody. Yeah, it makes things interesting, keeps it keeps it different, keeps the vibe moving, and. Uh, yeah. Speaking of interesting and different, one thing that caught my eye last year that you did, uh, I've been wanting to talk to you since October, basically, is um, that video you did for uh, What Are You Smoking? Or what are we, yeah, what are we smoking, I guess? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that hamster ball thing was hilarious, I got to say, first off. And uh, what, what made you decide to go running around in a plastic ball and either make someone's day or totally ruin it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, I always love annoying people for sport. It's one of my favorite pastimes, but I think that was, that was Max Hauser, the filmmakers idea and our, and our buddy Jaffer, I think she, uh, she chipped in on that idea. Um, but yeah, I mean those, those giant human hamster balls, you only get like 15, 20 minutes of oxygen before you asphyxiate yourself. So we had our friend Dexter and, um, his, his lady Maria, and they would time once we closed up the hamster ball, they'd fill it up with air with like a, with like a lawnmower air leaf blower. So I'd, I'd be like sitting there in a half deflated human hamster ball, like an asshole while they shove the, uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the stick of the leaf blower in there, the whole 
neighborhoods like watching it unfold and then they close it up they turn on the timer 20 minutes till you're out of air so go nuts and and then I'd run down the street and try to play songs through the plastic at people. And, uh, you know, most people were pretty pumped about it. But, yeah, I mean, like there was a good like, you know, 28 percent of them who wanted me dead. They were not yeah, I noticed at least in the music video, the the sample size seemed to be a lot of like uh, older, older people just being like, what is this idiot doing right yeah. now? Yeah, Dora County, Wisconsin. <laughs> no idea where that is, but uh... shout out. It's the it's the little mitten thumb of. Uh, of wisconsin you know it's got like the thumb that uh, sticks out okay. into the lake yeah yeah i forget my... like um i feel like americans and canadians don't well, i forget that you're up 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 north because we don't pay attention to each other's like, <laughs> geography as much you know which is fine it makes sense yeah i definitely wouldn't be able to notice the intricacies of american geography but uh i actually that's funny you say that because we have a bit of a i'm sure you guys do the same thing like actually that game uh that episode of friends they do this where they try to name all 50 states or was it 50 is it 50 states or 52 why am i thinking 52 50 nifty united yeah. states and then did you have that Statuses. song in grade school no no that was not 50 part of nifty our... uni- oh shit great song <laughs> yeah i think it was written by like uh george washington or something oh. his first album yeah drops uh, dropped on uh right in the 1700s well, there was, yeah there was only 13 states there right shit, my, uh, my history is shot yeah Maybe but it was like Grover Cleveland, I can't remember. Or Hamilton, I don't know. Alexander Hamilton, he's popular right now. He's Al Scamilton. <laughs> you know, you know a lot of obscure presidents over there, Kane. Oh yeah. Good for a Canadian. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like we have a we have a game where like you try to list all the states off of memory and then see how many you can get. And I would love to see a much simpler version of everyone in the states trying to guess all the names of the provinces and territories up here. And Dude, uh, here here's where and on, on that very note, here's where like American public education just needs a reform. I remember spending like a full two months of of fourth or fifth grade where the whole eight weeks was like memorizing every president that America oh ever had. And then at the end of that two months, we had to like list every president in order of like the 50 presidents or whatever. And then you just forgot it all two weeks later. And that was like, we dedicated so much energy to just memorizing like that William Taft was number 28 and got stuck in a bathtub in 41 or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's weird where the priorities lie. That's a whole other tangent about uh, the public education system, even up here in Canada. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's weird where like priorities lie sometimes in history and uh, in history classes, especially. And going back to going back to this new album that's coming out, uh, I like how you say out. I forget. Uh, that's like the one word you can decipher if someone's Canadian or American. Out. Out. Am I? Is it that prominent? I. I. Let's. Yeah, that's let's that's, that's the word that that always. Yeah. That's the cue. The key word for me that uh, tips me off. Yeah, it's like that in uh, Inglorious Bastards where the guy you know does three instead of three. They're like ah, you're Did not German. Did he have his finger shot off? I can't remember that scene. I can't. Remember. I think they just started shooting at the whole bar. Really, it's Tarantino for. Oh, that was Tarantino. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, so I think everybody just gets shot up in the bar. Yeah, I need to get Tarantino to guest vocal on my next record. Seems doable. I could go on about Tarantino. Like he loves himself. It's so funny. Like he he has to show up in every movie he makes, pretty much. And he's a terrible actor. He really is. <laughs> <laughs> he's a terrible actor. I'm not sure how you feel about him, but yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I can't, all I remember him in is in that from dusk till dawn, where he he's he's not great in that. But uh, I don't remember him like making many appearances in his own films. It's usually like just like brief cameos. I feel like he's aware yeah. that he's a shot actor, so he's like playing Hopefully. to his strengths. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, he never. Yeah, he never really has a big role, but he always likes to show up, and it's. It's almost comical. I remember in uh, Django Unchained, his character was, I think he ends up dying very quickly as a character, but uh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's a he's a strange man. Quentin, yeah, call, call in if you want to sit in on my uh, Grammy nominated future record. <laughs> yeah. Or even on your podcast, who knows? I'm sure he's listening right now. His people are, his people are listening for sure. Quarantino. Hey, uh, yeah. I wanted to kind of talk to you more about uh, your, advocacy for mental health and everything too because it's not just this album or the book uh but you know like you're all, pretty much all of your work that you've been doing is very centered around being conscious of you know your your mind essentially and uh has that always kind of been something important to you creatively or is this kind of naturally I think so I think I think yeah it just started as like a self therapy and then like as it kind of went on and you bring the book into play, then it, then it becomes something, you know, beyond yourself. But, uh, I, I mean, growing up, I never, I didn't even know what anxiety was or depression or I had no clue what that feeling even was. I just knew I was like tired a lot or I was like, just like really uncomfortable all the time. And then like in my adult life and then you, you realize that there's like a diagnosis for that and um it's kind of a relief to like you know have ha- have some of these diagnoses and then and then you realize how normal it is and then all of a sudden i didn't feel weird about it and that kind of like the first step into starting to trying to crack the code to uh to, to freak out in my own head less you know what i mean yeah um but uh you know, it does get better and it, and it is, it's totally okay to be sad sometimes and anxious. You know, that's just part of like the cycle. And I think some of us have more dopamine and serotonin than others. Um, you know, I mean, my friend Katie, I was talking to in, in Viroqua, she's like, yeah, I mean, I really get really down like two days out of the year. And other than that, like I got pretty, I'm pretty lucky. I got a lot of serotonin or something where it's like, if I can have like you know, four or five good days out of seven, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good number for me. I just know that there's, there's uh after the highs, you know, there's always some sort of um little bit of dip and you know, that's fine. It, it's going to pass, you know, it's all, uh, it's all temporary and cyclical and the, uh, the big troughs, you know, they don't, uh, you, when you're in them, you feel like they're going to take forever. You feel like they're like permanent or something. And then, uh, and then clouds part and uh, all of a sudden you start to feel better. Yeah. Did you find, I'm kind of curious because personally, like whenever I would, you know, perform and stuff, cause I used to do a bit of stand up here and there and, you know, played in bands and whatever. And I always found that those nights, were, you know, obviously great, but the next morning, it's not even like, there's nothing to do with alcohol or drugs or anything, but that next morning, like you almost feel like that's like the, the start of the load. Does that, does that kind of happen to you a lot when you're touring and, and playing music and stuff those morning after? after a performance for you, you would feel uh, like a little down the next day. Yeah. It's like that rush is gone, I guess. It's like the depletion of oh, those okay. things. And then I'm kind of curious, like, so you would get a big rush. I got, I, I hear you. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. 
I feel like the the morning after a show for me, I uh, especially if if I'm, I'm going into an off day, I feel amazing. Like I got my work in. You know, we went out, we played well, sold some records, etc. Um, I feel like I feel a lot of weight on my shoulders if we're in like a long tour or you know just like doubting myself is like if my body and my mind is going to hold up and if i can like keep it together and walk into the club and be like the person and like i'm i i do often worry i'm gonna like let people down like people pay a ticket to see your band which is like one of the highest honors i've ever known and then you kind of create this um this kind of unnecessary pressure on yourself you know it's like i mean you got there for a reason like you're doing you're good you're doing things right the songs are good enough you're playing well but then you give yourself a reason to like feel shitty and doubt yourself and be like oh my god like what if i don't deliver a 101 percent top primo performance um these people aren't gonna like me anymore they're not gonna come see us so have you ever seen that Bob Dylan documentary, No Direction Home, of like the glory years of Dylan? I have it's, not. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's really neat. Uh, Scorsese did it. And like, um, you know, Dylan's a lot of smoke and mirrors and character, um, but he's like the most brilliant artist who's, who's ever done who's ever done that. Um, but like, it seemed like every show he would just like be toying with the audience or 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 bombing on purpose just to keep himself entertained and it was i think that's like where a lot of artists aspire to get to where they can be like literally not giving a shit to the point where like they can afford to like lose a bunch of fans tonight and like still be fine yeah um, the next day because like once you do the thing and you do the touring and you play the set you know, you tighten things so tight that it can become this like theatrical pre-scripted performance, which can be very cool and, and kind of like can be the most impressive form of performance if it's like ultra tight, ultra rehearsed, but that can feel pretty robotic and it can feel a little bit uh, depressing or a little like hamster wheel. Like if you're a band doing that every single night where it starts to feel like work and you're just... um you almost feel like you're like a hologram of yourself or something. So I think there's like a sweet spot between doing the the Bobby Dylan thing where you can kind of goof off and improv and like be okay with bombing a song here and there just so, so you are having a great time and uh, staying inspired in the live setting. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. Do you find, um, because a lot of your guests on your, your podcast are musicians, like touring musicians and everything too some pretty, pretty big names on there. Uh, and do you find that's like a pretty common thing with your guests, at least when they're opening up about that sort of stuff is like that robotic feeling and that repetitive nature. Yeah. I think that's a consistent theme for performers because I mean, let's be honest, like none of us are Bob Dylan and, uh, you know, none of us are probably playing arenas to the point, to the point where we can like, take major risks like that but um yeah artists do all sorts of different things to stay interested in their own live show especially when they're playing a ton of dates you know um so yeah i know steve steven page and i were talking about that very thing of of bombing on stage on purpose where you're like shit i've played the same set two three nights in a row i'm gonna try this joke and it's gonna be a risky joke and maybe no 
nobody laughs. And I've done that where I like, I've cracked myself up, like telling like a Hitler joke and no one in the room laughed. And then they, they would like realize I was kidding. And like nine seconds later, I would get like three laughs from like people who were down with like weird fucked up comedy. So, um, I try not to do that too often, but, uh, at some point you just, it's almost like, um, I don't know, giving yourself a cortisone shot to, to like get through the show. You know what I mean? Yeah. That feeling of like something just not hitting is, uh, it's a very weird rush because you don't really know what to do with yourself for that immediate, that, that moment, that one second. And then <laughs> after some like instinct just kicks in and you just pull yourself out of it. But it's, yeah, yeah it is thrilling in a weird way. It is. So that's so weird. You get a buzz from it. Like it's, it's, uh, yeah. Once you do it long enough, you get a buzz from it. I feel like when you're growing and figuring it out, it's just fully terrifying and you, you hate yourself, but, uh, yeah, maybe that's what's... where like, the difference doesn't <laughs> yeah. quite come in. Yeah, man. You haven't figured you out what's scary, what's, what's fun yet. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, once you do something a thousand times or 2000 times, you know, whether it's performing or writing or painting like nothing feels scary about that anymore so you gotta kind of kick your own ass to stay motivated take some yeah. risks and do you feel like you've been taking uh any risks on this new album at all or <laughs> not really <laughs> no <laughs> i hope so um in a sense that uh we this this album we wanted to make really raw so we wanted to take take uh yeah risky in a sense that like like dialing back the production which is not something you do on your fourth or fifth album generally generally you like try to polish things up as you go or whatever but we're like you know what like we got here by making like really thrashy loud acoustic uh power pop let's do that but 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 make it a little more lo-fi than we did the first time put a tiny bit of distortion on the vocals and um yeah, there's something to it. I think there's a charm to it because, you know, as technology becomes just so incredible and like anyone can make a perfectly sounding polished studio album on their garage band at home, it's the human sounding music. It's the more raw sounding music that I feel like is going to stand the test of time and cut through a little more. It's funny that you say that because I last week, I think there were some news article about AI recreating. Yeah, saw that. Yeah, with like Kurt Cobain songs and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Basically, almost, obviously not perfectly yet, yet the key word. But uh, yeah, they can like, computers can do this essentially now. Like the music is not safe uh, to the robots anymore. Yep. And uh, I think this year, especially with that news aside, people are becoming increasingly more drawn to that original raw state of creation. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of come a part of this COVID world where like, People are remembering like, oh, yeah, this is why I love my favorite bands. This is why I love, you know, their sound is. And it's nice that uh, more and more artists are catching on to that, I guess, yourself included. But I think you're right, man. I think there's something to that. And, you know, as AI advances and like creates more and more human sounding music, like you literally just type, you know, you shard out a song with with an algorithm that sounds like a human person is doing it as that becomes more advanced, it's going to become even more important as a human artist to take more risks. Cause you're like, all right, I need to make something that the algorithm doesn't know what's going to happen. Like if I want to 
have any sort of relevance, I need to like be more avant-garde and, and, and take and brighten more corners. So I'm not just like some reproduced shitty version of Nirvana or, uh, you know, Santana or whatever. I mean, I like Santana, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. It's funny that so you hopefully it encourages more risk taking. Yeah. Yeah. Human artists. I mean, I hope it encourages more risk taking in creative works because I mean, let's be honest, there's like most of the population is, is going to always like corn syrup, uh, whether it's uh, in the form of bro country or generic butt rock or whatever. I, I, I know I sound like a pretentious hipster doofus right now, but you know what I mean? Like people yeah. aren't, the majority of people aren't going to go out of their way to listen to M Ward or to like discover some nuanced form of, of music that's different than the stuff they hear that they've been bludgeoned with on the radio for the past 40 years. So that said, there's, there's always going to be human beings interested in, in other human beings taking, I think, creative risks and making something that's never been done before. And um, maybe I'm just telling myself that to feel better, but I hope it's sort of true. I think, you know, I think it is pretty true because uh, especially as, as my submissions increase and everything, like I'm getting more and more music sent to me every day. You know, I listen to a lot of, a lot of songs and I'm coming to this realization that there is this like weird bell curve and there's a huge cluster of people who are, especially up and coming artists that are, are so worried about getting onto Spotify playlists or having like the hit single to get themselves discovered and like launched into the algorithm that they're really like losing that sense of risk and they're almost going very safe. So there's a lot of stuff that falls under this like umbrella that's just safe. Like there's nothing dangerous about it, but there's nothing, you know, unappealing about it either. And uh, right. it's those people that like are doing something different and, you know, staying true to themselves that are standing out more. Yeah, I mean, genres. you probably listen to more, you listen to more music probably than anyone I know. So that being the case, can you tell pretty quickly when something is like, when something grabs you, is it something just completely different? Yeah. Like that happens to me every once in a while where some, especially undiscovered or very small artists. It's, the, my problem is right now is I'm having a hard time putting it into words because, you know, a lot of people require feedback or whatever. Uh, but there's like this inherent feeling where you're like, okay, this uh, maybe it's the core progression, maybe it's the production, what what stands out more, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But there is always something for songs that I, I'm really drawn to. There's like almost an inexplicable thing about it that uh, that just sounds different, but also familiar. I find that's like the nice cushion thing. It's like, okay, I want to listen to this because it sounds like other stuff, but it is clearly its own thing. It's, yeah. it's, yeah. it's hard to describe with arts, right? It's um, almost not meant to be put into words, but, uh, right. I mean, what would you tell like young bands or musicians or, or any band in the, in the crazy modern tech world, what would you tell them for like ways to move the needle and, and get discovered as that's, a journalist? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a tough question. I was not prepared to answer questions today, but this is great. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a tough question, but, um, honestly, I, I think people are overthinking it too much that's where it really starts to be dangerous is when you start overthinking in any, any field. And uh, I think new artists especially shouldn't be worried about uh, 
fitting into a mold or fitting into a playlist because you're just going to be all like I, I get I get 200 submissions a day basically and half of them I don't have time for or I'm just not interested in and the other half or a quarter of that other half get thrown onto a playlist and I never hear about these artists again you know they, they're a blimp I liked it on the yeah. playlist next but that's kind of where people are going. So if you're starting out, like I think a very important thing is to just keep your head down, do your own, find your own sound, which takes time. It's not an overnight thing. And just work with that and people will be drawn to it. I've always loved that mantra. It's like oh, do cool. your thing and people will follow you. And uh, yeah, how, how, how about you? How, how do you feel like you've been able to kind of keep that sort of uh, things like true to yourself and stand out in your own way? Yeah, I think you're right, man. I think... Uh there's a niche for everything now and it's it and it's about being good very consistently rather than being like a genius in your career like i've talked about that before but like in the 90s or the 80s or the 70s you could do that you could be great for one song and be an international phenomenon and now you just have to you know don't worry about don't spend any too much time on one song like you have to just continually create and consistently be good and consistently release things and um you know you can't get hung up on that last phase of mixing where you're you know you're like uh, oh between the seventh and ninth second there's a weird like guitar nuance that we need to eq the 400 hertz out of that or or it's going to ruin the song you got to just like know when to draw the line and call the game and just keep moving you know because no one thing is probably going to change your your career you know it's it's like you said it's nothing's going to be an overnight thing you're just gonna long slow burn baby that's uh that's how it is now and that's how it's always been for me and everybody i've ever known i don't think i've ever known any overnight successes you know i think that yeah i think the overnight success thing has really gone out of control uh because of social media like especially with tiktok i i get a lot of artists you know pushing their stuff on tiktok and you're sharing like 15 seconds and they're trying to go viral. And right. if you think about it, there's millions of people doing the exact same thing, trying to go viral, right? And just that there's like this illusion that because somebody did it, I could do it. And right. those people got lucky and they had a bit of talent and whatever and the stars aligned. But you're one, you're also part of this million of people trying to do the same thing. So, you know, that effort to become viral or one night, like overnight success is very futile and kind of distracting almost. Yeah. Do you think TikTok is a good use of time for bands to try to be getting songs on there or is that too broad of a question? Uh, yes and no. I find that it's, uh, it has its, it has its utilities to it. Like there, if you want people to, you know, get a sense of your sound, especially if you have a following, then it's great, but it's, it's like radio. It's, it's, it's actually worse than radio because it's fleeting. At least radio, you're hearing the songs on a weekly basis. Yeah. With TikTok, you hear it once, it disappears. You hear yeah. it for 60 seconds, it's gone. And even if you follow the band, like they're always got to be forced to do more and more things. So I think it's I think it's gonna be it's gonna be a very strange shift if that becomes the norm for a lot of artists. Right. Have right. you been using TikTok at all? Do you not at all. I, I used to try to post on it once a week because people were telling me to do so and I just can't keep up. I just like you only get so much bandwidth, you only get so much like petrol in your energy tank or whatever you want to call it so yeah i mean i guess like to me like instagram right now in, in my limited knowledge it seems to have like a ton of staying power 
more so than Facebook. So yeah, trying to put, put, uh, effort in there, but, uh, you know, not put too much effort into social media to the point where it's like taking away from the, from the core of like making stuff. So, yeah. And that's actually a good point too, Brett. That's, that's actually really important as well as that because of, you know, because of TikTok and Instagram and stuff, a lot of these artists are putting in so much effort into their social media rather than, you know, working on new music or polishing their sound or researching how to become better and stuff like that. But it's all part of the yep, game, right? That's but, true. Uh, yeah, man. I know I've I've got into phases of doing that of just like getting way too into the social media or the admin side of the gig, and then just like really falling behind creatively. Yeah. Oh, but um, Kane, I do have to I do have to run here because um I have a call in like sixty seconds. And, oh, okay. Um, it, well, this I, is a great I, way I would love to, to keep uh, riffing, but uh, we can do it. Definitely do it again for sure. I'd love to. Yeah, well, I'll hopefully have you on again, Brett. But uh, don't worry. Check out his new album. It's hard to be a person. This is this is the best exit ever. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah. thanks a lot, Brett. Thanks for your time. All right, Ken. I really appreciate it, man. I'll see you in Toronto. I'll be up there next year. We'll drink some coffee. Coffee with some fun in it. Yeah, let's do it. Deal. All right. See All you, right, brother. Thank Check you soon.